This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer-songwriter, video maker, Oakland native, and historian of how music lives on the internet. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, anything weird, dark, and funky from the past, so each day I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you. So let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365. Today in 2006, the Recording Industry Association of America sent 417 letters to 16 college administrators across the country, threatening serious lawsuits if file sharing software was found on university servers. But let's reverse, because there's no way it started there. Where exactly it started is hard to pinpoint, but I'm going to go back to the founding of Napster in 1999. Napster was one of the pioneering peer-to-peer file-sharing programs. It was founded by Sean Fanning and Sean Parker. Though you could share a lot of different kinds of files, it primarily was trumpeted as a way to share digital music files in the MP3 format. Napster only operated a few years until July 2001, but its impact on the music industry and how we share and listen to songs lasted much longer. Though it was already possible to share files online through a few different services, Napster offered a friendly interface and specialization in music files. In its short life, Napster accumulated 80 million users. Napster revolutionized music, because at the time, it was really hard to get a hold on older songs or bootlegs that weren't available or purchasable CDs or MP3s. Napster made it feel like music was a public good. Though that didn't last for long, even though Napster was, in many ways, a precursor to streaming media services. College Wi-Fi networks became overwhelmed as students caught on to the downloading trend. And MP3 file transfers took up tons of internet energy. Colleges began to block Napster because of how it clogged their networks, long before the legal problems began. Napster's legal troubles started with the band Metallica. They discovered that a copy of their song, I Disappear, was circulating on Napster before its official release. Radio stations started playing it since the access was so widespread. At the same time as figuring out that their song had been let out before its official release, Metallica realized that their entire back catalog was available on Napster for free. On March 13, 2000, they filed a lawsuit against Napster. A month later, Dr. Dre filed a similar lawsuit after Napster wouldn't remove his music from the platform. Metallica and Dr. Dre both delivered Napster usernames of people who they suspected were pirating their songs. Napster settled both lawsuits in March of 2001. Metallica and Dr. Dre ended up being the least of Napster's problems. In 2000, several record companies filed suit through the Recording Industry Association of America on the grounds of copyright infringement under the U.S. Digital Millennium Copyright Act. The suit put forth the following allegations against Napster. 1. That its users were directly violating the plaintiff's copyrights. 2. That Napster was responsible for contributory infringement of the plaintiff's copyrights. 3. That Napster was responsible for vicarious infringement of the plaintiff's copyrights. 
Napster lost in the district court and appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit agreed that the district court and Napster lost again. Napster wasn't immediately shut down, though. Instead, the district court ordered them to keep track of the file exchanges on its network and to remove files that infringed on copyright when they were reported. But Napster was unable to keep up with the orders and thus had to shut down anyway in July of 2001. The next year, it announced bankruptcy and sold its assets. Of course, Napster was only the beginning of file sharing. That's when the Recording Industry Association of America began to go after college campuses. The RIAA began to subpoena universities to deliver the names of specific students who used file sharing platforms to share copyrighted music on campus. Legally, this meant that the universities had to hand over the names and addresses of the students who the RIAA accused of sharing copyrighted music. But there was a catch. Because of the way internet services work, colleges didn't necessarily have the names of students who were matched to a specific IP address associated with sharing files. Networks like those on a college campus can shuffle IP addresses between users in a way that doesn't track who would be downloading what at a specific time. By this point, surveys showed that one in five Americans were downloading music online, and it was clear that the problem probably wasn't going to be solved by suing universities. Nevertheless, the RIAA persisted. In the meantime, more file-sharing programs like Kaza, LimeWire, BitTorrent, and countless others were popping up, and there just wasn't any way to keep up with the way file-sharing was ballooning. In the midst of all of this, it was becoming easier and easier to play MP3s. The iPod came out, and Windows Media Player added the ability to rip CDs into MP3s. In 2008, the RIAA announced that it would stop suing users for pirating music on sharing networks. The lawsuits were often lost as much as they were won, and many of the defendants didn't even show up to their court dates. Musicians themselves didn't care about the lawsuits because any money that was won wasn't shared with them. The goal had basically been to frighten the public into stopping music downloads, and it hadn't worked. The RIAA had gone to extreme lengths, trying to get children to rat out their music-loving parents, going after suspects in full SWAT team armor, and threatening to wipe all MP3 players in case they had a copy of The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Needless to say, all of this made them incredibly unpopular with the general public, and in the end, it just wasn't worth it to continue suing individuals. And they ran out of money. Hiring lawyers is not cheap, and the return on lawsuits was nothing like the money they spent on legal fees. In the end, file sharing didn't go away completely, but it did make way for streaming services, which put more effort into getting recording companies and artists the money they deserve. File sharing still exists, but many of us choose to go with streaming services these days, both because the ethical implications and because file sharing has become replete with bugs and computer viruses. And now that we're back in the present, let's talk about a recent music release for our music fun fact of the day. Today, in 2018, Lennon Stella released her debut EP, Love Me. Love Me featured several previously released singles, including Bad, Breakaway, and Fortress. She collaborated with six different musicians to create the record. The star began her career on the TV show Nashville, but quickly got into recording on her own IRL. And for our final segment of the day, I'll be going into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a November 16th in my life. November 16th in 2018. I got to see my all-time favorite artist, I'm pretty sure I can safely say all-time favorite artist ever, Rex Orange County. I was so excited. I was so excited. And I went to go see him with my dad. It was one of the best concerts I've ever gone to because I love his music so much. He was performing at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco 
which is really crazy to me because I was actually supposed to perform at the Regency Ballroom this year. And I was really excited partially for the reason that I couldn't imagine that I was going to be standing on the same stage as one of my musical idols. Really sad that I didn't end up being able to do that. Of course, I hope for one day I can go back and hopefully play a show there again. I miss concerts so much. I hope one day we can go back and make it feel kind of normal, but eventually, eventually we'll get there. That's all for today. Thank you for going back in time with me and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Come back tomorrow for more stories from yesteryear. It's 365 with MXM Tune. New facts every day, so don't leave too soon. I'm gonna teach you stuff. No, it won't be tough. Gonna go a year till you've had enough. It's 365.